And the Oscar goes to. And the Oscar goes to. Please be kind, especially when we don't know what's going on. So what I got? Movies are dreams that you never forget. Well, welcome to the watch list. This is Russ Matthews from Real Dialogue. And I'm Laura Bennett from Hope 1032. Yep, and we are going to take us through film, through the lens of faith. And so we're looking forward to this podcast. This is a fascinating one. It's kind of a interesting one as far as we're looking at all these different genres because we kind of go from the latest DC superhero to a haunting in Venice. And then we're going to kind of consider if it's possible to have love at first sight. So, uh, yeah, so we're going to be kind of traveling through the cinemas and also into streaming for a little bit. And we're going to start off with Love at First Sight. It's a new Netflix film. What, 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 what's this one about, Laura? So it stars uh, Haley Lou Richardson, who if you've been watching The White Lotus, you'll recognize her from that. But she was also in Five Feet Apart, which is right. a movie that I loved. They did so well with that one. But in this, she stars as Hadley alongside a character called Oliver, who I'm going to mention him as well, because if you're watching the actor Ben Hardy in this going, where do I know him from? He was in Bohemian Rhapsody. That's right. Drummer is, Roger Taylor. Right, with one of the greatest wigs. But the two of them team up as Haley, uh, Hadley rather, and Oliver. They fall for each other in the middle of the airport. So it's one of those uh, sort of fortuitous, serendipitous kind of moments. This movie, mind you, based on a book. So you've got a narrator taking you through these kind of moments as well. They cross paths over a uh, phone charger cable. They end up on the same flight together. They learn just enough about each other's uh, holiday plans to perhaps run into each other again. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. There is that question, can you truly fall in love at first sight? What is the probability of that? Because Oliver's character is all about the numbers, all about the stats, all about the percentages of how love and humanity and relationships work. Now, we've talked quite a bit. We even have a whole um, podcast on the death of the rom-com. But I'd love to know what your thoughts were on this. And also, would you even call this a rom-com or is this a romance or Mm. how would you even classify it? I'd love to know what your thoughts on this one are. Yeah, it's kind of... It is in, I guess, the romantic genre, of course. It's the boy meets girl, will the kind of quote-unquote fates bring us together? And it is. it does sit in that pocket of love story, so I'll give you that. But it's not, I get, like, even as we said in that other um, podcast episode, the romantic comedy genre has changed so much. It's not the it's not the ones that we used to think about, 27 dresses, two weeks notice, music and lyrics, like all of those kind of classic rom-coms in some way. This is a modern rom-com and I think it also fits really well with some of the discussions around how love and how romance work these days in the era of online dating and swiping and the feeling that everybody is a face and a number. This story kind of hits on that in a way when it's not necessarily about the connection these two people have, but what is the likelihood that their connection is going to last? I think that that's I think it really hits home with the fact that also you know, even how we get to the point of even a physical relationship with somebody, this one even kind of addresses that, that we kind of, how, where, where are we at in this relationship and where, who are we? But then on top of it, I think the, the thing that really hit it for me with this film, and I did like this film, I, I mean, mm. I, I, I really enjoyed it, was um, how they really added in some unexpected layers to developing these characters along the way. Yes, it does seem a little kind of, silly maybe with the serendipitous kind of elements as far as Mm. them connecting 
but I, I'd love to love to hear your thoughts. I honestly loved having the narrator in there. I thought that mm. the narrator added something to it, kind of helped you breaking the fourth wall, helped us to kind of go, come on, you're asking the questions that you always ask during these movies going, yeah. how did you not see that? And yeah. she, in essence, is kind of filling in that void. She's allowing us to participate in this film in a way. And so mm. I really, I really found that that element was actually a great narrative element. Yeah, I wanted to give a shout out to the narrator who's played by Jamila Jamil, who if you're a fan of The Good Place, you'll know her as well. I did like her in this because, I mean, it's the function of a narrator. It's because it's a uh, movie based on a book. This is how it goes, pulling in the pieces together, helping you see the elements you might not see. But her character, the narrator character does pop up in different scenes. And at sometimes in in some moments, you can see each of Oliver and Hadley going, do I recognize you? I thought you were the flight attendant. Now you're the, exactly. the the ticket desk operator. Now you're whatever. And from my perspective watching this this movie, it did kind of speak to it's like these underlying philosophies ab- about our beliefs around destiny, fate, our free will, the probability of success or failure in a relationship, what does that look like? And the character of the narrator for me almost spoke to the way that people can come across our path and be like this this voice of encouragement or this voice of direction or even a, they can bring a question up that really helps yeah. us navigate certain times. Like there, there are moments where, you know, this does happen where you're sitting on a bus and you exchange, have a moment of exchange with somebody. You may never see them again, but it's like that moment triggers another moment, which triggers another moment. And for the me, the narrator kind of spoke to that, those kind of unexpected yet meaningful exchanges we can have with people and the consequences of those exchanges in our life. Like without putting too much emphasis on it, but I just think this movie did speak to the value of the small moments and the strangers that can impact us in positive ways. Uh, yeah, I, th- I I love that. That's a great grab. I think that, that that is a great way of being able to look at the value of the narrator. But also uh, another thing that you brought up that I I, I think really grabbed me, and I, I'll try not to – I'll stay away from spoilers. Mm. Probably one of the best moments for me was when the Oliver character has to give a speech to his mother about his mother. And, and the book, just so you know, it's based on a book. It's called a, based on the book, The Statistical Probability of Love at First Sight. And both with that speech and also kind of all the things that Oliver kind of represents, I loved how this movie managed to show us that we are more than numbers. We're more mm. than statistics. We're more than an algorithm. Because I definitely, I have so many friends who've met via the internet in so many ways, you know, with the different services that are out there. And so I, I don't, I'm not against those things in any way. But yet I think sometimes we think that it just kind of comes down to a series of numbers and then we'll find the right person. Mm. And this kind of goes back to your point. It's not only the people, but the fact that God actually has a plan if we have the intention of, of actually having a long-standing relationship with someone. Because um, not everybody because some people do remain single and remain happy single, which is great. But I think, too, if you are in or desire to have a relationship, that God does really have a plan for that. I mean, we can see that going all the way back at, to the beginning of time, that really there's a purpose and a plan for the relationship between a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. I found that this really kind of hit that quite brilliantly, because I think mm-hmm. in our day and age, I think we think uh, if we just get it right, if we just get the statistics right, if we just at the right place at the right time, when really in essence, so much of it is really kind of up to, you can call it fate, um, but really providence in looking at, especially in God's hand being in it all. So mm-hmm. I, I, re- I, I think I really enjoyed this film a lot, and our family mm-hmm. did too. And I, I don't know if you yeah. were able to watch it with somebody else and enjoy that too. But I sat there enjoying it 
to myself, eating my, I actually was eating chocolate-coated raspberries while watching this movie, which was a nice accompaniment, I'll tell you that much. That's and great. I really, I did actually really enjoy this movie because while it was like light and, and friendly and all of that, it does have some deeper elements than what you expect. And touching on what you mentioned, there are these actual big underlying questions of do you live life based on numbers or, as you pointed out, do we do we see people as the human at the core of, right. you know, the the probability, the statistics we may look at, there are human stories within that. It's like, do you live by numbers or do you live by your heart? But then also on this idea of providence or fate or that kind of side of things, this movie does ask that question of, like, will you lean in to the possibility of a unexpected moment? Like, will you allow yourself to take the adventure to enjoy the possibility of missing that flight, connecting with that person, perhaps plans not going as planned and yet finding yourself in a moment that you didn't expect, but that actually ended up having quite a lot of significance in your life? I think that's kind of a a call in this movie too, is lean into the possibilities of the unknown and trusting the fact that life does come together in a way even if it's not the way or the path that you particularly saw coming. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I think, and and I think going all the way back to what you said at the beginning too, in that in this modern era, that it's still okay, you know, to take those risks, to take Mm. those opportunities as they come. You may have to kind of handle it differently than maybe we did 10 years ago, 15 years ago in in a certain way. But yet, in essence, it's the same thing that really taking that opportunity when it does come, Mm. even though it may mess up your schedule, (laughs) you may not have it on your calendar, but it's definitely worthwhile in the long run. Yeah. So let's talk about A Haunting in Venice. This movie has an incredible cast. I mean, Tina Fey and uh, his name that literally just I mind blanked on. Jamie Dornan? No, well, yeah, him too. No, Kenneth Branagh. How could I forget Kenneth Branagh? Yeah, come on. Yeah, Yeah, he's right there. He's at the front of it. It's based on Agatha Christie, right? A book that she wrote, The Halloween Party. Sure. did, Did you like the fact that they decided to go into the more sort of spiritual side of murder mysteries with this one? Yeah, you know what? I honestly, I, I before we even kind of get into kind of the description of it, because it is one of Agatha Christie's. I think it was her last book. Um, it was written like 1969, and last novel. And so it's not as well known. It's mm. not a. It's not one of her famous ones because I mean, the first two that he did, Murder on the Orient Express and and the Death on the Nile, are both very well done, and also they've been made into films in the past. But with this one, I think they actually did themselves a disservice by kind of almost trying to set it up as a horror film when really I don't think it was a horror. It's a suspense thriller, but there is a spiritual element. And I do like some of the big questions that kind of came from that, specifically with the Hercule Poirot's um, kind of look at his season of life and all that he has seen and the horrors that he's seen in war, but also with these murders that he's kind of investigated over the years. And that even considering, is there something good? Is there a God? Ooh, it had some big stuff in it. I, I don't know. I mean, before we, I, I'll, I'll go through and do the description, but I'd be mm. curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, well, it was interesting to me because I'm so familiar with whether it's Agatha Christie or any of the other number of murder mystery stories that we tell. They do often ground themselves in the very physical, evidence-based, put-the-pieces-together detective side 
of these kind of crimes. Whereas with this one, I thought, oh, you're doing something different. You're trying to ask, mm. is there something beyond what I can see with my eyes that I can touch with my hands? Is there a level of mystery that I don't have the capacity to understand? Right. And for Perot, who is known as this iconic, legendary detective, to come up against that question of maybe I won't have the answer, maybe this is a puzzle I can't put the pieces together for, that's a pretty big rattle to his identity. And you have to watch as he tries to navigate those larger questions and then of course try to solve a mystery and wonder whether he can really really do it based on his prior experiences but also this element of unknown potentially spiritual mystery that goes with this story too yeah definitely because i mean they definitely tap into the spiritual don't get me wrong it definitely is still there is a a spiritual element that it really makes this different than the other agatha christie stories and also the hercule poirot films and let me get people caught up on kind of what the whole story is real quick because you're probably not as familiar with a haunting in venice um this one is is a it's a murder mystery where detective perot is actually retired if you can remember from the death death on the nile he's actually retired he's not doing the murder mystery he's not doing any of these things even though people are pursuing him to do that until one day he gets a knock on the door from an old friend who is actually a part of Agatha Christie's kind of lineage of of characters the tina fey character um it's Adriana um, Oliver is her name, and she's also a novelist who's, I think, actually used Hercule Poirot in a way in some of her novels in the past. That What they say that this is kind of a nod for Agatha Christie to mm. kind of putting herself in her own books in a way. And she is going, she wants to debunk a, a Joyce Reynolds, who's played by Academy Award winner Michelle Yao. Um, she... Um, is a psychic who is trying to help this famous um, opera singer kind of connect with her daughter, her daughter Mm. who has died uh, kind of mysteriously here in Venice. And so these two are kind of going to try to kind of debunk um, this Joyce Reynolds character as she tries to kind of tap into this young lady as in regards to this Alicia, who's actually um, Alicia, the Alicia character. And, uh, but when you know it, as it all would happen, that it gets to be all of these different people in the rooms, these different bit of skeptics that are mm. all kind of a part of this family. And wouldn't you know, there's a murder that happens within the house and they all must remain until the storm passes and they're mm. able to figure out exactly who has has kind of been the who is actually the murderer in this whole scenario. Yeah. So, um, yes. Yeah, so it's kind of it's. There's a lot of similarities with other Agatha Christie stories and mm. Kenneth Branagh stories, but it does definitely bring in some spiritual elements. Are you, I mean, have you been a big Kenneth Branagh fan over the years or even this franchise? Have you enjoyed this franchise? I've really enjoyed this franchise and what they've done with it. I think that the Agatha Christie novels are a really good basis for building these movies on. And Kenneth Branagh has done so much else in his career that I just really admire him. Like I think, and I think he's continuously finding a sweet spot to enjoy in both what he does on screen and what he's doing behind the screens as well. I almost feel like though with this, they were trying to hit kind of like a knives out type uh, sort of audience, I guess. It's not as strong as knives out in terms of the mix of characters and how they all engage and things like that. But the sort of spooky, the spooky element in this is the bit I think people are going to wrestle with because I wouldn't normally like a horror genre is not my favorite the spiritual genre I'm always a little bit wary of because I'm wondering what are you trying to say with this what kind of ideas am I going to sit with during this movie and how is that potentially going to affect me or not right so I feel like they're all considerations to have going into this and because they are trying to tell this particular story 
this particular one of Agatha Christie's novels in time for Halloween. So right. what what they're leaning into is very much more the spooky element. But then if you choose to go and see it, you are going to uh, be confronted with some of these questions that we've spoken about. Like, do you, big questions right up the front. Do you even believe in the spiritual world? Do you right. think do you think there is a world that we can't see, can't feel, and that yet it affects us? Like, do you think there are mysteries and ideas that you can't fully grasp, but that they do actually have an influence on your world? Like, that's that's all in there in this. And it is, and I, it's probably something to flag. There are some scarier kind of, you know, those jump scare kind of moments that do mm. occur. So we're, we're not saying that there isn't a horror element, but it definitely isn't your tr- typical horror film or slasher no. film in any way, even though there is a murder that does occur. But it, what it does show us is that how tapping into um, just even kind of the thought process of the spiritual realm is very important here. And I, I feel like they're really touching on some big questions that are, are worthwhile exploring yourself as mm. well as being a part of a murder mystery. And, and I'm yeah. glad you brought up, I, I do Glass Onion and also Knives Out are two of my favorite probably of, of that, as well as this franchise. I've enjoyed this franchise. It looks like Kenneth Brown is just having a blast. I mean, mm. the fact that whenever he puts on that mustache, I just think he, he takes on the Hungarian accent mm. and thoroughly enjoys this character. And uh, I would actually put this up there as one of the best ones of the of the three. I still think Murder on the Orient Express is probably the best. Yeah, but, it's a lot um, of fun. Tina Fey is having a blast as well. Like oh. she just owns her character. It's great. And for Yellowstone fans as well, like to see to see Beth, I'm only going to know her as Beth. To see her in this in a different kind of oh, role yeah. as well. It was great. Yeah. Oh, she's one, and she is a phenomenal character. If you don't remember, she was actually from the Sherlock Holmes franchise too. So, I mean, she is a really great British actor. Which it's almost hard to know that when she's doing pulling off the Montana feel yeah. and look, and actually probably one of the strongest characters in that one. But I, I do think that this film um, does kind of exemplify. Uh, the kind of the Agatha Christie feel, even if you're mm. not familiar with it. I b- do believe they changed the ending a little bit from the book. So that does kind of, that could make some Agatha Christie um, devotees a little upset, but it does give us something that's a fresh story and a fresh mm. way to be able to kind of look at it. And also building on this character, it depend on how this does, if there'll be another of these films, mm. but um, I feel like they really do kind of tap into this character quite beautifully. And so um, I, I enjoyed it. I, I, I enjoyed it more than I thought because the way that they'd set it up as being a horror film and like you I'm not Mm. a huge horror fan but I did appreciate this film and what it was really striving to do and on top of it I know Kenneth Branagh, his eye and his cinematography, I mean, the way that they even kind of take you in this kind of discombobulated element of mm. kind of traveling through this house in Venice, it does make sense, especially as they come to the conclusion why they do that. Um, but yet it yet it's brilliantly handled is because it's within the confined spaces of this house mm. that they're able to do it, um, especially during a, a rainstorm. So overall, I, I really, I really enjoyed it. I don't, think this is one for younger viewers uh, you know like little ones aren't going to be able to enjoy this but most mm. likely if you've been a part of this series you wouldn't have thought that younger viewers would probably enjoy this series anyway but yeah. i think for adults i think it's probably the most mature film on offer for those who enjoy something that kind of has that spiritual element or maybe even gets close to mm. the horror genre as and it's as not too long this is no. the other good thing we've had we you know we've had so many movies that just make you sit there for ages and uh this one is not that so it's like you get you get your good story you're not going to be in there forever and you're going to get some nice deep 
thinking out of it too, I think. This is one I think that you will need to afterwards go down and kind of sit down and kind of have a bit of a chat with whoever you go see this film with and talk about some of the bigger questions that come from it. You know, just talking about the spiritual realm, talking about God, good and evil. If there's evil in this world, can it actually Mm. um, have an answer? Why is it? Or even that, how could there be a good God when there's even uh, all this evil in the world? And I really find that that's something that's worthwhile considering when you're seeing this film. And even just the, the, conversation around knowledge and how much importance we put on our ability to answer questions you know to right. have to have a degree of certainty to have a degree of expertise that we feel is unshakable where that can kind of come undone or right. what does it fe- what does it feel like if what we think we know is perhaps manipulated by different things. Like I think right. that's going to be there's just so there is so much to think about from what they did with this movie, but it's yeah, it is a little spooky, we need to point that out. Uh if it you is. hadn't got that already, so be mindful. You know, well, but it's actually surprising to me and we'll, and we'll move on to the next film here in a second, but th- that's what's surprising to me to me about a film like this cuz once you get to the end you're going, "Oh, that's who did it." Which is yeah. it's actually really quite I, I thought there were some good twists in this yeah. honestly. Yeah. We always love a good payoff. Yeah, you do. You know, when you're not, you didn't pick it from the beginning. So you're going, oh, okay, I, can, I really can get that. But then on top of it, it's, it's one of those rare franchises where I could watch the film more than once. I think mm. to go back and see it kind of going, ah, oh, that's where, oh, I didn't catch that before. Yeah. Oh, that's that subtle nuance that they added in, that they actually answered your question earlier in the story, but it mm. really, it almost always takes the time to be able to kind of go back and watch it again. So yeah. that's, what I, I, that's what I really enjoy about those films. You want to talk All about right. Blue Beetle? Oh, yeah. (laughs) So romance to suspense thriller to superheroes. So we're kind of going into a new superhero and one that many might not be familiar with. Um, He's actually been around for years, as you can see on my T-shirt, as far as he has actually been a character in the DC universe for quite some time. But this is the latest alliteration of it, the younger version. And I I look forward to kind of hearing what your thoughts are, because he actually reminded me about about four or five other characters that I could probably say that Blue Beetle reminded me of. But mm. let's kind of, I'll, I'll go through and explain who he is. So Blue Beetle um, is is the latest in the DC universe. He's kind of caught in between the ending of the former regime of Zack Snyder and moving into James Gunn. So we're kind of sitting here in this awkward space where he sits, but he's the newest guy. And his he's a law student named Jamie Reyes, who's returned home after going to law school at Gotham City Law. And he gone back to Palmyra City, which is again a fictional community, but boy, doesn't it look like Florida. And so he's come back and his family, they all come from a Hispanic background, um, all of a sudden realizes that they have lost their home because of Cord Industries. Cord mm-hmm. Industries is moving in and trying to make the area that they are in and kind of upscaling it to a certain degree as far as the housing and all of the different things that are going on there. And so Jamie is trying to figure out exactly what he can do to help save his family and also his community to some degree and manages to come in contact with Jenny Cord. Jenny Cord is the heiress to the whole Cord Industries, and she's not necessarily happy with what Cord Industries is doing, especially with her auntie, Victoria, who's played by Academy Award winner Susan Sarandon. And they're really trying to kind of not only take over this whole area, but they're also trying to take over the world with Mm. this new force that somehow... Somehow Susan Sarandon, or I'm sorry, Victoria has Victoria Cord has actually tapped into. Well, what happens is Jenny gets the what they call the scarab into mm. the hands of Jamie Reyes by happenstance. 
And this scarab ends up giving him the powers to become the Blue Beetle. And so this dun, it sets, dun, 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 sets <laughs> the tone for kind of putting us up to what is this new character and what is the power within. Mm. And it says it is quite distinct from some of the other DC movies, especially because so many of the DC ones, I feel like visually they're quite dark. There's a different right. kind of tone to them than what you might enjoy in the Marvel franchise. Those two franchises are distinct for good reason, right? You, The DC fans love what they love about DC. The Marvel fans love what you love about Marvel. But it was nice, I think, to see a DC movie with a level of brightness and excitement and comedy right. that I feel has been missing from some of their movies especially, but also not as a whole because, I mean, Wonder Woman, fantastic, and it has its own kind of dynamic. Right. But then to see Blue Beetle bringing something that was like youthful and energetic and vibrant. I really enjoyed that because it doesn't carry the same heaviness of some of the others from DC. I totally agree with you. I felt like this is a, a throwback, not in a bad way, but a throwback to a different time when we actually went to the superhero films to have fun. And mm. it was just fun. It was humorous. It was a bit clunky. And yeah, there's some plot holes, but it kind of reminded me of the original um, origin stories that we remember in the MCU. And so, mm. and they, they weren't always the greatest of them, but what they're doing is setting up this character and really kind of showing us who they are and you fall in love with them i, I not only him but also the, his whole reyes family oh yeah george lopez as his uncle oh. he, the, the, i actually think he was maybe my favorite more so than blue beetle himself oh totally i mean he <laughs> well he brings all the character he brings all the fun and and you just want you just want them to succeed in what they're what they're doing mm. I, I i i go back i actually would probably say that this was my favorite dc film yeah since wonder woman and and I'm not necessarily including the Batman and Joker, which I feel that those are kind of different films in different kind of veins of the mm. DC universe, as it were. But this is kind of in the DCEU. I would say that well, this was probably my favorite film since Wonder Woman itself. And found that it was probably the most family friendly movie. That's that's the thing I found that so many superhero films have gotten to the point where they've lost sight of who the audience is. Mm. I really could recommend this to almost anybody all the way back to pre-teens on up, and they would be able to enjoy this together as a family. I don't know what mm. your thoughts are on that. Well, it really, for me, fit what – like. I, I do tend to gravitate more towards the Marvel movies. I will tell you that. There are some right. DC that get me, but I watched this thinking this fills the gap where like you Sp Spider-Man No Way Home, like Spider-Man Homecoming, that kind of – energy is what this film gives to DC, I think. So in the same way that the Spider-Man movies with Tom Holland are, are much more, like you say, they're family friendly, they're fun, they have that dynamic to them. This Blue Beetle does give the DC fans that. And I think it's yep. going to allow for the next cycle of these superhero movies, whether it's Blue Beetle or others, to have a possibility. Like if, if right. audiences love this, maybe we'll see more of this kind of stuff from the rest of the franchise. I hope so. I, and I honestly hope that he comes back because I mm. want to see more of the Blue Beetle because um, I felt that he kind of had that Spider-Man vibe. He kind of felt like the youthfulness of Spider-Man, but then he also kind of had the, the Iron Man vibe mm. to, you know, because of his suit and all that. Um, and well, even his origin stories is so similar to the Spider-Man experience as far as what happens, but even they handled that in a humorous way mm. that him just kind of trying to figure out this suit and what it can do. Yeah. Um, but the other aspect that was great about this film is that they that it was fun and it was it was 
family friendly, but yet they did do some really purposeful, uh, that's a pun, no pun intended, purposeful ways of kind of looking at some of the bigger questions of life and looking at even his purpose and why we all exist and do we have a purpose, even though mm. it may be different than what we thought it was. Um, and the value of community, the value of family, that we really need to be able to do this together. It's not just bringing all the Avengers together, but mm. honestly, it's it's those who aren't even superheroes, but how they all play a part and yeah. a role in kind of helping us to kind of work through all of this. And I, I, I don't know. I really hope that they are able to tap into it. I know that this may not, this film may not have done as well as some of the other DC films overall, but it was probably one of my favorite characters I've seen mm. out of the DC universe and probably the superhero realm in a long time. Yeah, and having a Hispanic hero at the center, they oh, yeah. distinguish themselves so well with this one. And that identity in terms of where the origin story of Jamie, of his family fits, is really meaningful within this. They don't they don't discount his cultural heritage as well as that of how he came to be, be Blue Beetle, how he deals with finding his purpose in that, how he adjusts to what it means to be a hero and his his sort of own individual identity alongside his superhero identity and then the right. impact on his community more broadly. Like the the uh, importance of his family as boisterous and sort of quote-unquote different as they may be from the other context Jamie is in, who they are and who they have made him to be matters so much in terms of who he then becomes as Blue Beetle. It just kind of taps into the fact that there's a depth to his character. It's not just, mm. oh, I'm just uh, just a teenage boy. No, actually, I'm teenage. I mean, well, not teenage. He's a young young adult who is going through all the struggles of what do I do after university? And yeah. then on top of it, I come from a, a, a community that I'm the only, only child that's ever gone to university. So, but yet I, I don't come from the wealthy background. I mean, that's so many of the superhero, you know, films, they kind of come from these rich backgrounds, even though um, the heritage of the blue beetle kind of has that element to it, but that yeah. kind of comes out. In the so film, would you, so. you're going to put it on the watch list? Oh, definitely. I think <laughs> this is probably, I, I think, it is probably one of the best films for families, uh, right up there with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that we discussed the last time, the, the Mutant Mayhem. I, I feel like this one, it, it not only, it also, interestingly enough, even kind of brought a bit of romance back to mm. um, the Marvel, uh, not the Marvel, the superhero genre in a way, which we haven't really seen a lot of, you know, um, over the past few years. And so you even see that kind of seeing a, a, this kind of fun connection there. So I enjoyed it. Would you put it on your watch list? It goes on my watch list for sure, just because it's it's just different. Like I get, we, we've spoken in a previous episode as well about superhero fatigue and all of that. And I do think, particularly because these movies are going to get, a, you know, a second life in so many ways, or there's going to be a whole new life brought to these um, franchises. I feel like we do need, we need a reason to keep investing in these movies. We need a reason to keep investing in these characters. And of course, there's going to be the diehards and the forever, you know, um, those of us that are forever latched on to any kind of superhero movie. But I think, more importantly, there's going to be there has to be something in these movies that says this character is is one that you should follow, and these are the reasons why you still want to find yourself exactly. anchoring uh, your ideas and thinking things through these kind of movies. And going back to and also supporting films like this, that that we we love seeing films like this coming out. They're producing them get out and support them because the only way they're going to come back is if you go out and see them in cinema. So we really want to encourage people to be able to do that. 
Um, and just so you know, too, as we're kind of moving towards the end of the, the podcast, we there is a new film coming out called Ruby Gilman Teenage Kraken. Um, it's a it's kind of if you if you can remember a film that came out during the COVID era of uh, called Turning Red that was a Pixar film. It's very similar as far as a, a teenage angst of a young girl who doesn't realize that she actually has powers to become a Kraken, which is a, a sea creature that can, would protect them from, interestingly enough, the villainous mermaids mm. yeah. and uh so it's it's a uh, yeah there there you go so it's a it's a it's beautifully animated it's a very familiar story but also one that might be on be on the watch list especially for those who are looking for something with a little bit more of a female-centric character in the teenage realm and kind of enjoying that teenage angst that we kind of go through and experience throughout <laughs> our lives what a combination enjoying teenage angst yes <laughs> <laughs> that's right being entertained by well because I, I went through when i was going through to review it i was going through man we've done there's so many films out there especially on on girls and their teenage angst that what they mm. experience and how the challenges of being a teenager and peer pressure and all these different things that we that are experienced by that but then on top of it to just be so awkward even though you have powers that you didn't even realize that you were supposed to have so there's some good messaging in the film it, it wasn't the greatest of films I, I wouldn't necessarily put it on the top of my watch list mm. but it was um it was one that doesn't necessarily have warnings to it it would be one that if you're going out and you want to find something that's entertaining, it might be worth engaging with yourself. So, mm-hmm. well, as we kind of finish, as we look at the coming coming to the close of this, so we both seem to be good with Blue Beetle being on the watch list. Yeah, how, Blue Beetle's how, on what, there. What about haunting a haunting in Venice for well, you? A haunting in Venice. I feel like as much as I love uh, Agatha Christie and you know a good kind of Cluedo esque murder mystery. I don't. I wouldn't have minded not seeing it. Like I don't okay. think it had. It had good discussion. I've brought up some of the things I really valued about it, but I don't think life would be missing anything if I had not watched it. I'll say oh, that. There you go. Yeah, okay. yeah. There you so go. It, yeah, it's not a. Di- it's not a diss. It's just a. It doesn't have to be one that you give your time to. Right. Well, and and I think you do have to see the others before you can really appreciate this one. Some of the nuances mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, I think it is a niche, definitely a niche film. That in the if you are an Agatha Christie fan, I think you'll love it. If you're looking for something a little bit different than all the other films that are going to be coming out over this Halloween season, a yeah. little lighter than maybe some of the other horror films, this might be a worthwhile being on the watch list. I would put it on my watch list. I really, I I did enjoy it, but also I have really enjoyed this franchise mm-hmm. overall. And I would absolutely, yeah, I would put, I w- sorry, didn't mean to cut you off, but I would put Love at First Sight on my watch list. I know it's going to be a genre that is not for everybody, but I think it offers more than what the genre typically does. And it's in terms of Netflix movies and something you're just going to put on at home and enjoy, it It really hit the mark it was aiming for, I think. That's why I liked it. It's like, yeah, it may not be something for everybody and you don't necessarily have to watch it, but it is exactly what you need it to be, plus a little bit extra. And absolutely enjoyable as far as Netflix movies go. Oh, I think that's just a great review of it. I think that that's exactly it. It was just, uh, it was a nice surprise for me because we have kind of gone through and seen a whole bunch of different films on Netflix that seem really pretty light on and they're pretty forgettable. But while this one really has something to say and gives you something new and different mm. to be able to enjoy. So I would definitely put Love at First Sight on our watch list too. So there you go. So we've had a, had a pretty good week this week. Uh, there's a, quite a few things, kind of new films coming out and we have some new ones and we'll definitely be back in a couple of weeks, kind of looking at some of the new ones that are coming. 
But be sure to subscribe today. You can do that um, at Hope103.2. You can go to the website and be able to subscribe there. Also, we have a YouTube channel. You're able to subscribe not only to our podcast, but also the other, all the other great podcasts that we have here at Hope103.2. You can grab our reviews. Um, both Laura and myself do reviews at Hope103.2 and Real Dialogue. Um, that's rwldialogue.com. And just especially for all those different entertainment reviews when you're looking at that over the season. And uh, yeah, hey, it, Laura, I just lo- loved having this discussion. I'm looking forward to the next time getting together. Likewise. And uh, yes, as we say, bring the popcorn next time and we will be here with you to watch some of the best movies and maybe some of the not so good movies, but we'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll definitely keep you up to date as we put film through the lens of faith here at The Watch List. <laughs>